A quick disclaimer, opinions of host and guest do not represent the views or opinions of functional movement systems. Always consult your physician before beginning any exercise program. This general information is not intended to replace your healthcare professional. Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice, giving you guys a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let's preview what's coming up in this episode. Our guest this week is Gerilyn Cooper-Smith, a pioneer in the group fitness training world. She is the VP of Fitness Staff Development at Exos. She worked with big brands throughout her career, spanning from Equinox to Nike to Flywheel Sports. She sits down with us to discuss her journey, the evolution of movement in group fitness training, and where she sees the industry heading. I know I enjoyed this conversation with Gerilyn, and we hope you do too. So let's get going with today's episode of the Movement Podcast, powered by FMS. Thank you, Gerilyn, for being here today. Uh, We really appreciate the time that you're coming on to be on the podcast. You were the Global Director of Performance and Fitness for Nike, and then you're also a author and many other accolades within the uh, world of health and fitness. So I know you know the guys pretty well, so I'm going to tag you off to talk to them. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, it's funny, Gerilyn, in thinking about you coming on, I was like, we, we we started our history, I think it was 2005. And you attended a course that we were teaching. Um, I don't even think Gray was there. I think it was just me. John Tureen. John Tureen. Oh, yeah. John Tureen. <laughs> Indianapolis. And back then, John Tureen was the famous guy in the room because he was the strength conditioning coach for the Indianapolis Colts. We were, so we were right in his backyard. And evidently, I didn't screw things up too bad because we're still talking. That's it. No, it's funny because I walked up to John Tureen and I said, are you Lee? He said, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> That was my introduction to John Tareen. <laughs> it yeah. was awesome. I think he still does that. Yeah. yeah Hell no. And then I think the first time that I met you, we came up and did a lecture in New York, and I was communicating to Lee a few minutes ago. Officially, that was the first time I ever took myself out of the game. So I think that's the day <laughs> I transitioned. Player, coach, I think you were gracious enough to take us out to eat that night, and um, – Long before we started eating, we started drinking. So by the time the food came, I was waving off the sushi and just, uh, anyway, uh, the next morning when I was due to open, uh, it wasn't working. <laughs> Lee wasn't feeling much better, but I said, dude, you're opening. <laughs> and I went and found one of your nice, cool yoga mats and laid on that. So, so luckily, um, <laughs> I blame all that on Gerilyn because, you know, we go to New York. So Gerilyn... <laughs> Evidently, I didn't screw up too bad in Indianapolis. So she invites no. <laughs> you and I to come up to Equinox, where she was the director. I'll let you say what you what your title was then, but overseeing these trainers. And you and I went up there and taught a seminar, um, one of the first functional movement screen seminars in New York. So maybe that, maybe that's part of what it was. <laughs> went up there and taught, and I was looking. I was looking at it as a huge opportunity. We're going to get to impress Gerilyn, impress all these trainers, because obviously these were early adopters at the time. Mm-hmm. And then Gray, Gray goes and screws it up. And I'm like, <laughs> good exactly God, Gray. <laughs> We're trying to impress Miss Cooper Smith. And, uh, and Gray me. can't even get off the yoga mat to go teach. Let's just put it this way. It was a rough morning for a lot of us. So you were not alone in that. It was a little bit of uh, overindulgence. And uh, surprisingly, you guys were like rock stars. You went from being completely out <laughs> to like right on. I was like, okay, great. These guys are professionals. It's all good as long as you can pull it together when you have to, and you guys did. So. It's a little harder to pull it together these days. We, know, we, <laughs> we used to know how to play hurt. <laughs> now yeah. we just sit around and hurt. <laughs> so, Gerilyn, so actually, give us a breakdown of how you got started in the fitness industry, a quick one, and then maybe even talk about these trainers that you were bringing FMS to. What was your role there at Equinox? Okay, sure. Yeah, so I've been in the industry since 1990. I started off in the Jane Fonda kind of period. I was a group fitness instructor. I was a personal trainer. 
But um, I was doing that as a side hustle. I was in advertising and PR, which I hated. And I read a book that's called Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow. And I really embraced that message. It was a quarter life crisis moment. I was about 25 by the time I transitioned fully into uh, fitness as a full-time gig. And at that point in time, there really weren't people doing personal training outside of celebrity you know, people in Hollywood had celebrity trainers, but it wasn't a thing for the masses. So it was just becoming a thing. And so in short order, I became a managing a facility. And then I started and I was had been training more and more people. Then I started training the trainers and that became a total passion of mine. Eventually built a really strong book of business, had a lot of managerial experience, went back to school. My undergraduate degrees in psychology. So I got my master's in exercise science and, uh, Then I did more and more teaching, and it's evolved into this role at Equinox, where I started as the senior, the manager of the Equinox Fitness Training Institute, and then the role got bigger over time. Eventually, I was in charge of the entire program, and I did that for almost a decade. Then I went to Nike, and I was there for three and a half years, and I got to work with these guys again there because they were already there working in the Performance Council. Um, and then I was with Flywheel for about a year and a half in charge of their talent, chief talent officer there. And now I'm, I'm my day job. I'm at Exos. I'm the vice president of uh, fitness staff development. And uh, it's been a cool ride. But the, the red thread that runs through it is training trainers, mentoring trainers, upskilling trainers. I think it's obvious to see that mentor role for you is something that you've always loved to do. Teaching teaching people who can then teach others or educate others and train others. It's, it's that idea that, you know, I can't teach everyone. I can't make everyone healthier or more fit. But if I can teach one person to do it better and then they touch another 10, 12 people and then that person, you know, it's this you're able to help the masses in a way. Yeah, it, it maximizes your impact. And when I got the role at Equinox, we all, a mutual friend of ours, Anthony Rana, he was like, he calls me Coop. He's like, Coop, this is amazing. He's like, you know, you're going to be the, the pebble that makes the ripple in the pond. And I was like, what? And like, didn't occur to me that I would really have impact on trainers and then they would have impact on other trainers, not just their client. So that's the power of this. It's a multi, it's a force multiplier. And, uh, and I'm passionate about it because there's so much crap out there and there's so many ways people can turn and unfortunately professionals can turn and it can get the rails it can come off the rails really fast if there's not some kind of uh, guiding principles to to kind of bring it together and say uh, we don't do this unless we know this or or have some frame and and, and for a long time we didn't that's one of the gifts of fms well, Gerilyn, uh, the, the three of us share something in common that we, we share with a few other colleagues in that we are teaching something that we weren't taught. Meaning, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at our exercise science education, um, and I, I, don't, I don't hold any grudges, we're in a time of transition to things. We got a little off track with the way we were summarizing somebody's physical behavior and you having a psychology background know exactly what I'm saying. We've never looked at movement like a behavior. And when you come at it that way, these patterns of behavior, you see problems that are way bigger than a stiffness or a tightness somewhere, but it was never taught to us this way. So I actually think it's a very exciting opportunity. And I I see why you've been with it so long because you know what they were taught academically and you know, it's not going to work when they hit the ground. It's like what you, if, if what you did in boot camp isn't going to apply to this territory, then we got to do a mini training before I turn you loose. You recognize that you saw what you were trained to do. You became wise probably quicker than most people your age. And I do think when we find ourselves in a mentoring or managing role, communication and accountability is the, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't work with Lee and the guys and give them my background or my experience. All I could say is we all got some nice talents and tricks. If we don't have a place we can come together and sharpen each other, because we all think we're right all the time, a scale has to keep us together. And all I think you were looking for is a way to do your job in a, in a leading role better. And anytime stuff gets clearer and you got good people, better things happen. You got to get good totally. people and you got to make it clear outside of that it's downhill. Um, totally. I mean, a lot of it came out of a frustration that I, to your point, didn't have tools. I went to graduate school, not to, you know, not to be like bragging at Columbia. It's a pretty freaking hard school. <laughs> and 
and I got a good education, but I got an education in the science. It was really, you know, and, and then the assessment piece of it was, you know, sit and reach test and, you know, how to do blood pressure and let's, let's get you on the treadmill and, you know, do a submax treadmill test. None of that told me anything about how to program it, anything about movement quality. That was just like, okay, and here's a, a noodle getting to the deep end of the pool and good luck with that because here's all the science and we're not going to show you how to apply it. I'm glad I had the background and I have the credential, but that was the beginning of the journey. That was certainly not the end of it. Well, I, I look at all the time we spent learning uh, fiber types and muscle, and then yeah. you realize, <laughs> oh, and for the most part, we can't ever change it. <laughs> and by if the you, way, your clients don't We could have handled this in 30 minutes. <laughs> that's yeah. no different than Q, Q angle is a risk factor for injury. And that's been studied. God knows how much money has been spent into that. So Q angle is basically, if, if you don't know what it is, is how wide your hips are and your knees cave in, whatever. So that's been studied. But it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you can't change well, it. 30 seconds, Dr. Burton, and you move on to the next step. <laughs> Measure the Q angle. All right. What can I do? What am I supposed to do with this? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so much of education. And that is a frustration for me in education because so many times you go through all these things and there's all this theory. Mike Boyle is great at saying this. He's always like, yeah, and what do I do with it? <laughs> It's like, that's the takeaway. It's like, yes, I understand the science. And by the way, your clients don't care and you don't know what to do with it. So that's, there's a lot of mess in there. And you can't really fault people for sort of casting out in the dark to try to figure out and make sense of things. And sometimes the places they cast are kind of scary places on the Internet where people are doing, you know, circus acts. And, hey, that's cool. And I, that looks like it might be functional. So it's it's a, it's a little bit of a, a, a tragedy, I think, in our profession that we don't start with this foundation of really guiding principles across the profession and everybody's just grabbing its straws to figure it out. And I, I think, you know, to the extent that we have a tool, it's like, again, I feel like a freaking commercial for FMS, but I do love yeah, it. Yeah, you keep it, talking it, like that, Jalen. <laughs> well, uh, Jalen, you know, you know I, I think here's one question I really want to ask you, it, it, you know, leading yeah. into this thing today is, I mean, you've been, you've been, mentoring trainers, teaching trainers, really setting up curriculums for trainers over the last 15 years, right? What's changed? Meaning there, you know, has, has much changed. Do you see, do you see how you need to educate them changing? Do you see them absorbing the education anymore? Cause let's face it, people are still as broken today as they were 25 years ago, maybe more so now. So, you know, what have you, what is, how have you evolved maybe your education, but have you seen the trainer evolve much? At scale, not to the extent that I would like to. And I think that's a function of this, the inner information superhighway of the internet and social media that where people get all this information. And now there's more people that are quote unquote trainers. That said, I do see some lineage of people that have come up through Equinox that have come up through other programs where now they're training people. And I see, you know, those streams are running strong and clear. And then there's all this noise around it, which I wish wasn't there. I thought by this time in the 90s, when I first got in the industry, so much of what we learned was contraindicated exercise. And it was crazy stuff like forward flexion greater than 45 degrees. Like, don't ever tie your shoes. Because you're going to blow a disc. It was just, it was to the extreme of exercise cops. But I thought we were, that was the beginning of, we're going to really dial things in. And not that much has changed in terms of at scale, the, the amount of information that the average professional has. And, and that's frustrating to me, you know, that people don't know who to trust. They're trying to do the right thing. And there's just too many voices in the conversation. And a lot of times the loudest voice gets the ears and maybe it shouldn't be, you know. You know, Gray and I didn't start out as, as educators, just, you know, like you, you were a trainer. And Gray and I, you know, started talking about the movement screen really early on. We weren't teaching it. We were just talking about it and, and getting feedback. And then lo and behold, people started asking us to come in and teach it. And it dawned on me back in the early 2000s that, you know, teaching this was a much better way to get the word out and not trying to be holier than thou and pat us on the back, but just like you said, Hey, a, you know, a pebble in the pond, let's just teach yeah. it. And in that time, Gray, you and I were spending most of our world was athletics. Our world was rehab and athletics. We really weren't even thinking about 
anything other than that. Let's get into the universities. Let's teach, you know, teach the trainers, the strength coaches how to do an FMS. And Geraldine, to be honest, it was you that the light bulb went off for me to say, wow, it's, this is a world out here that in fitness that are touching the general population. Then I'm like, wow, they are one, they really need this. And I think it wasn't so much teaching the screen, it was how to approach it at that level and how to communicate about it, about it that I think you really helped me figure out, you know, how do we need to reposition this little test that, you know, we kind of thunk up in a I chat honestly, in I honestly didn't understand fitness. And I was already under contract with Reebok. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Could you say that again? You didn't understand something? No, I didn't. I didn't understand <laughs> fitness at all because I either came, I came from a rural background and a sports background. So a lack of activity has never been a problem for me. So if I'm doing exercise, it's to prepare myself for sport. And when I wasn't in sport, there was enough work in front of me and enough outdoor activities to easily keep me tired. So I never sought additional exercise other than that, which would allow me to play my sport. And then I realized, oh, in urban environments, the activity and your exercise and your gym, that is your physical culture. I, I didn't realize it. And, and, and to this day, I'm, I still feel like an outsider because a lack of opportunities to move has never been part of me. And then all of a sudden I find myself in, in a hotel sort of sequestered, you know, and, and I don't really want to go down to the gym because everything's full down there and that's not really where I want to be. So like, oh my gosh, yeah, I feel like I'm in a, in an aquarium. And, and, yeah. and so I realized a lot of people can only express their physical life through their exercise choices, their gym culture and stuff like that. And there's no reason why that shouldn't be a, a, just as positive experience as going through physical development in a sports camp or something like that. But then what I realized is fitness took on this burden of entertainment instead mm -hmm. of results, right? Is you know, totally. you, you know, in, in the presence of a lack of results, at least we can entertain you. And, and that's yeah. where, that's where I got a bit jaded, but I realized people are only asking those questions when they think all other things have been handled. And I'm like, no function has not been adequately addressed. You've got plenty of real estate to farm here before you have to convert somebody's program to sheer entertainment. There's, there's so totally. much more to do. Um, and that is the natural inclination of younger trainers. You see that, you know, all the time, like, I'm sure you've heard it after everything you've taught. They, you know, what do we do? Can I do this? Show me something cool. It's like, whoa, that's, that's the frosting on the cake. We're nowhere near that conversation. And by the way, a lot of things you're going to do are not going to be cool and sexy. They're going to be fundamental and, and they're going to be, you know, back to the basics. So if you're looking for the crazy level 25 Cirque du Soleil, you're coming at it from the wrong angle, but that is the orientation of, of people just to see like, wow, I never saw that before. <laughs> okay. Maybe there's a good reason for that, but uh, that's, you know, I think that's where we are more often than not. Well, good, good trainers, good therapists, good chiros, good coaches. They make good food taste good, right? If you were yep. a chef, you take good food, but you make it taste good. Good food, food that's good for you can really taste bad prepared incorrectly and without skill. But yep. good food tasting good is the best of both worlds. And that's where I think most people aspire to. Anybody can be a short order cook, but nobody lives on that. They just get yeah. temporarily entertained by that. But is that is part of that struggle, Gerilyn, for these younger trainers, a lack of confidence? Because the person that they're mm -hmm. trying to train is coming in, seeing all this crazy stuff on the internet, looking at Instagram, thinking that that's what they got to do in order to get their outcome. So I think it, it's, to a degree, just lack of confidence in your ability to, to do that, to create a program for someone. hundred percent agree. And what happens when there, there is a lack of confidence, you see people, the trainers are looking around the gym to see what somebody else is doing, and they're afraid that their client is looking at that someone else and saying, why aren't we doing that? Which they sometimes do. And without having an answer for why we're doing what we're doing for you, it becomes very easy to be distracted with what trainer down the, you know, over there by the squat rack is doing. It's, uh, it, it gets, it gets messy really, really fast when, when you have people that don't have enough 
experience and background to have confidence and then are making choices based on a lack of confidence. Well, that's, that's one thing that I think we all come together on is if you ground yourself in objectivity, because if, if your biggest piece of real estate and fitness is entertainment, then you're going to be judged subjectively. But if your biggest contribution here is a science-based, scalable model that yields better physical competency, then it's measurable. And, and honest to God, I've never found anybody that chose entertainment over results, right? Exactly. It's in the lack of results. Well, this is, you know, if we're not going to accomplish anything, at least make it more fun. Well, great. Okay, yeah. we can do that. But, but I honestly think if you don't ground yourself in levels of objectivity, understand health, understand wellness, understand fitness, understand performance, and I've got objective measures in each one, you can tell me I'm doing a bad job, but I can show you where things are changing. I, I can easily totally. try to make this experience uh, better for you, but I've never let anybody tell me how I did my job. I wanted a tight feedback loop, not because of my ego, because if I'm doing something wrong, I want to be the first to know. And if I'm doing something right, then I want to have the confidence to tell you, I appreciate your opinion, don't need it. You know, and, and that's where I needed to be right, right away. So don't ground yourself in subjectivity. Then you're an entertainer. Now the critics are coming out of the woodwork, and you'll never know what to do. But, Everything has to be a public poll. But, Gerilyn, is, is, uh, is it the struggle for you as an educator and your trainers to do what Gray's suggesting is put all that objecti objective data on the line and say, here's where you are today. And if you don't, meet, if you don't improve these things you're in trouble. So I would argue that a lot of trainers out there are afraid to do even that because they don't mm -hmm. have the confidence that they're going to meet those goals. So if you tell me you want to lose 15 pounds, I need to put your ass on a scale to find out where you are today. And if I haven't lost yeah. 15 pounds in two weeks, whose fault is it? So it's yeah, almost like a struggle then to even collect the data because of that. The transparency totally. forces you to become an expert and it's okay. There's enough objectivity out there where if you're reading good information and then putting it to action, you'll have it quick. But, you know, that's my, the only reason we ever did stuff on stage is to show people, you know, if I can do this in front of 300 people, I want you to do it in front of one. It's okay. You can do this. But Gerald, how do you, how do you deal with that concept with the, with the trainers you are mentoring now? Yeah, it is sort of a which comes first chicken or an egg thing of, you know, trying to, to get people to be confident enough to put it on the line to say, hey, you know, I can get you here. Um, I would caution people and trainers that I'm mentoring not to say that I can get you here, but we're going to do everything we can to get you here. And we may not, we may have to change strategies, but we're, we're going to do something. We're going to test it out. We're going to see if we get a result with this tool that we have. And then if it's not working, we're going to try something else. So I think that's a, you know, a, a better approach than an all or nothing. I have a magic wand and can cure this for you. It's like, I have a tool. I have a filter. We're going to check this. We're going to try this thing. And if it doesn't, we're actually going to try something else, but we're going to know if we're getting better because we're not just throwing darts with our eyes closed. You know, we have, we have some validation of what's going on. Well, Lee and I had this discussion this week talking about uh, better ways to sort of execute maybe a physical education program. And the two pieces of information I want about a growing and developing child are where are they now, motorically, you know, in movement wise, and what's their rate of change. Now, this, yep. this applies directly to working with a client. Where are they now? What's their rate of change? Because if we set a six week goal, then by three weeks, you don't have to be a scientist to draw a graph. If we're not halfway right. there in half the time, we might have to recalibrate. So as you said, there are things I can do in each session that will give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. They're not right or wrong answers. They're saying, is this person changing at the rate we predicted? Are they changing but changing slower? We got time for that. Are they changing yeah. faster and they need to be challenged? And so my whole point is, when, when we say six weeks, we're not hoping at the six-week mark that everything falls in place. At week one, what's the graph look like? What's the trajectory look like? You know? And so I honestly think if we just remind young trainers, and I try to do this, it's a tortoise or the hare thing, right? Mm. Guess who's yeah. going to win? 
all right? And, yeah. and the enthusiasm and the pyrotechnics aren't there in the beginning. They'll be there in the end. Do the work. I mean, it's, it's just like Seth Godin in business. Just do the work. Uh, follow the yeah. process. The outcomes will more often than not prove the process. So, Yeah, the harder I work, the luckier I get kind of thing, yeah. for sure. FMS is your baseline. Functional Movement Screen is an objective tool that measures seven fundamental movements that are key to daily life and determines if those movement patterns are optimal, acceptable, or dysfunctional. While the screen is simple and efficient to perform, each test has been strategically selected due to the significant feedback it provides on mobility, stability, and how both work together for larger integrated functional movements. Based on the screen results, FMS professionals can then prioritize exercise and programming to accommodate their clients' needs so they can achieve higher levels of fitness and performance. This highly customized exercise selection protects clients from factors that inhibit progress and produces self-aware clients and athletes who can now reach greater heights in lifelong movement health and vitality. Whether your focus is optimizing training, maximizing client retention, or enhancing communication, the screen helps you get there. It is the foundation for one of our basic beliefs. Play to your strengths and work on your weaknesses. Explore our course options and get started today. So, Gerilyn, you've worked with many different businesses um, over the mm -hmm. years, training their trainers. And I'm yeah. sure your method has kind of changed over the years. You keep, you keep going to you know, a new group of people doing the same thing, essentially. What has stayed the same when you, you take the same method to each, each group? And what has changed over the years? I find myself as an educator now focusing more on the what first and giving them the why as a secondary thing versus the why used to be the, the first piece that we would give them and then the what because some of this requires on the trainer's part buy-in over time and experience so if you give people a framework and you give them some understanding of why they're doing it but maybe not completely over time the experience will teach them more in depth. And then you can have a deeper conversation about philosophy and theory. But I find the more I go forward, the more I want to distill it down that whole, make it as simple as possible, but no simpler. I'm still working to that at its essence. What are the, the basic things that we can do empower trainers with almost from the get go? They may not fully appreciate the why behind all of that for some time to come, but at least you're putting guardrails around it. You're giving them tools that are effective, maybe even if they don't understand why. And I think there's, there's a lot of power in that simplicity over time. How can we continue to make it tighter and tighter? But how has how the curriculums that you try to design change, Gerilyn? I mean, from 2005 to now, I mean, what have you done to kind of tweak what you're, what you're trying to get these people to absorb? We start from a holistic orientation where the way I think we were all educated in our various areas of expertise, you know, we learned Kendall anatomy and we learned all these kind of, you know, reductionist models. And I try from the get go to say, wait a minute, this is an integrated system. This body that we have does not do anything in isolation. And that includes movement. So to try because that is a huge paradigm shift when most people coming into this are, are lay people who were fitness enthusiasts. That's what I was. And you see them, you know, coming in with, they've seen the magazines and they know that tight abs in 20 seconds, these kind of like crazy claims, but they're looking at parts, not the whole. And so that's the first thing you have to really challenge the paradigm of like, nothing's happening in isolation. And, you know, we'll show them things like Tom Myers anatomy trains, like, okay, so show me what's happening in isolation here. If you see these myofascial sheets. So you really have to start with that. Okay. What you learned in school's not wrong, but it's very incomplete and you're not going to be able to apply it in the service of helping people until you get these different models under your belt. And, and I think once they start to see these things, this is not my opinion, take a look at the, these anatomy trains, you know, these, you're seeing these lines, that's not my opinion. And then we talk to them about the neurodevelopmental sequence a lot because they don't understand a lot of times, which I never heard it in school, you guys did because you had a different education, but I never heard that the way we learn to move, there's a predictable pattern. We didn't really cover that in school. And to think that we can 
recreate that edge, that learning, that motor learning with that same sequence that we use that worked the first time. It's, it's in the software. I mean, I think that's a big light bulb switch for many, many fitness professionals when they first hear it. You know, it's not just about toning your biceps and, and that's where people are coming in from. Well, you know, it's it's funny. Fitness enthusiasts uh, often become fitness professionals. Yeah, and and athletes often become strength coaches. You know, they we we get into this this thing. We all can close our eyes and imagine this form ideal of a male mm-hmm. or female. There's an ideal form. Sure. Do you have that clearer picture of an ideal function? Totally not. Because I mean, how like, do you? Nope, nobody would, thinks of it. <laughs> biologically speaking, wouldn't you see form and function follow each other? They do in every other species, hoofing around right now. And yet, we have people that look really good and move poorly. But isn't it funny how media and trends and and maybe bodybuilding and Hollywood have given us an ideal we can easily access a, a form ideal, but we don't have a function ideal that goes hand in hand. And there's there's a biological uh, fact going along with primates. Once a primate has handled every other need of life, grooming behavior it b- becomes the next <laughs> thing they do. And it's like, once all of our needs are satisfied, we just sit around and groom each other and we get a spray on tan and we starve ourselves so we can see our abs and stuff like that. And it's like, we're concerned with grooming, but if you just get your ass out and move a little bit, that most of that form that you're seeking would emerge. Uh, well, that's totally, the problem with our culture totally. right now is that's not what we do. We, we don't we sit around grooming all the time because we don't have to get up and do anything. I mean, we're, we literally right. can sit in front of our, I mean, especially the last 12 months. I mean, we literally have been cooped up in our room sitting on a computer screen and not having to go out and do anything. Well, we and I think to, yeah. one thing that, one thing coming out of COVID that's obvious is that you need to exercise more and breathe more. I mean, yep. that is obvious. <laughs> so, all right. So, all right, Gerald, I'm going to bring this back to the, the education you just talked about. Sure. How you how you educate your your trainers and to explain to them, it's very clear that they can see this. So the big question Grant and I get, and I want to see how you, how you handle this with, with your yeah. um, trainers, is that how do we explain this to their client? How do we explain this to a client? You just gave us an idea how you, how you explain this to your, to your students, if you will. But how do you get them to be able to explain it and get their clients to understand? Because I'm going somewhere with this. I want to see what you say first. It's a slow drip process, unfortunately, because they're, the clients are, that's a real paradigm shift for a client. They're coming in to get washboard abs and, you know, lose whatever weight they want to lose. And you're telling them this and they're like, part of them is often like, I don't give a crap about movement. I just want to be thin and look great in a bathing suit. That trust is built in parallel. So, you know, I would always tell my trainers like, you know, when you're doing warm-ups, when we're going to do some stuff that's going to seem weird to you, I'm doing it because I want to protect you from any kind of injury that you could possibly have in our sessions to the extent possible. And I also want to unlock your ability to move well. So you're, you're able to do things without struggle. You're able to maybe be more active than you've been without issues. So I know this is going to seem some weird stuff's going to be in here, and we're going to do that. But we'll also do some other stuff. And we do. I love Mike Boyle said, let them do crunches and let them do bicep curls because they're going (laughs) to, you know, if I have to give you a little bit of of sizzle to sell that steak, I'm not, I don't think that's a bad thing. If you can do it ethically, if you can do it, you know, I don't know about crunches per se, we make a different (laughs) choice there, but, but bicep curls, fine. You know, you feel the burn, you leave, you know, we'll do a metabolic finisher. What can you give them so that they it matches what their expectation was. That gives you buy-in. At the same time, you're backfilling all this goodness of these are things you should be doing. And before you know it, they're bought in. I'll tell you like the best story of this for me personally as a trainer. I had this model who I trained for many years. She's really gorgeous. And she came to me because she wanted to get a butt. She wanted to have glutes. And so I'm thinking in my head, I know how I'm going to train her for that. <laughs> it's not going to be what she's expecting. And at one point in our training, she was getting all these modeling jobs. She looked amazing. She was so happy with our results. And she said, you know, gee, it's so cool because now when I wash my face, my back doesn't hurt. And I was like, wait, 
reel it back because she had never mentioned her back hurting ever to me. Certainly not when she washed her face. And she's like 30 at this point. I was just completely blown away that she thought it was normal. Clearly, she had been happening for some period of time in her late 20s to have back pain when she washed her face. So if I had come to her and said, I've got a cure for your back pain. I don't think that would have gone over, but it was in the sizzle that she wanted, the aesthetic that I was able to, in partnership with her, give her that then she got this fringe benefit she didn't even know was available to her. So for me, that was like a, you know, moment. (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things that I thought of when Lee was, was asking that is many times we have a functional conversation with a client without having the conversation. Cause if you lead Mm -hmm. with a, with a screen or something like that, you now, they have a form ideal, just like we said most fitness enthusiasts do, but they have no functional perspective. Many times you do a screen on somebody, they're like, well, I didn't know I couldn't do that, or I've always wondered why that was that way. The conversation quickly goes from giving you the facility tour to uh, it's about you, and I just took a quick sample of something you haven't got answered for three years. So a lot of times your actions lead to a healthier functional conversation than you just sitting there saying, and you're going to eat broccoli and I'm not going to put cheese on it, you know? <laughs> well, one of the, th- well, one of the things, Gerilyn, that, y- that you did early on that was a light bulb for me in this, this type of population is obviously you can't you can't just take a new thing and throw it out there to the you you got to pilot everything's got to pilot it right, and I think when you did that, um, you yep. told me that one of the things that the trainers were saying is that the clients became so much more aware of their limitations because they hadn't gone through they weren't standing on one foot they weren't doing a lot of these movements and you're you're telling me as, as I'm getting the feedback from you um, that one thing that you were seeing is these clients that you were getting feedback from your trainers that the clients were like, oh my God, I can't believe I can't you know, put my hands behind my back on my left side versus my right and all these things. So that awareness was pretty powerful. Totally. And that is the other thing that makes the sale is that aha moment of like, why am I, they would say sometimes clients will say like, why can't I do this? And you know, why is it so hard for me? Why am I struggling? Just the awareness that they had this this issue that they weren't even aware of and that you've brought it to to the uh, front and uh, out into the light of day where we can actually do something with it. So I think that's that's a huge thing. The other thing that I think is really powerful for trainers is understanding the joint by joint approach. Again, this idea of a holistic integrated system. You look like a genius when you when someone's telling you your back's their back's bothering them. You check their hips, you check their T-spine and you see things aren't moving well. They're like, oh, wow, rocket scientist. That is such a powerful tool for people to get buy-in from their clients because their clients are like, how did you know I'd be tight like that? How did you know I didn't move well? Magic, you know, yep. and, and that, then you and get that's the confidence. The <laughs> that's the sell, <laughs> Gerilyn, right? I mean, you know, that's the thing. We, you know, show them all the limitations and then the next question is, well, how do I fix it? What do I do? That's yeah. it. They want to be better, and they also want customization. They want to know that this program that you've designed is really for them. And it's, it's a powerful tool. And over time, I think it really accelerates the rate of buy-in versus just time over, you know, over time, we'll get to know each other and like each other. This is, uh, really speeds that process up considerably. It is, it is uh, awakening to realize how detached people get from their body, just like the model you were talking about. She assumed low back pain was something that happened when everybody bent forward. And it's just one of those things that you endure and tolerate. I, I get that. I've, I've played hurt a lot. And sometimes you just compartmentalize that pain and move through your agenda. And until a more intuitive person asks you to talk about it, it's just one more thing that you're spending your energy on every day, just keeping that down. And it's, I've screened some people and had them go, oh my goodness, I didn't know I could do this, that, or that. And I feel like telling them, it's like if they pulled up and their car had like a bunch of dents in it and a bunch of stains on it, I'd be like, where has your car been parked for the last three years? It's like they just now got in there. And where has your body been parked for the last three years? And usually it's been in an environment where it hasn't been run sufficiently or it's been beat to hell. Right. It's it's the weekend warrior totally. or the person because of kids and and business and everything checked out of their body uh, for three years and they come back yeah. to it and say, how did I get this mess? The wonderful thing 
is when you show somebody the kind of changes you can make in movement in a week or two, you can't make those kind of changes in body comp in a week or two. But they get a shred of faith that carries them to the body comp, to the aesthetic ideal, to the new activity that they can now do. But, But those quick changes in movement tell me that you're going to adapt. And if you don't make quick changes in movement, it tells me we're going to be here a while, but let me go ahead and prepare you for that because there there are incremental progress milestones I can show you, but it is going to go slow because you're adapting slowly. And that's what I meant by that rate of change. Some clients need to be told, you're going to be making progress, not quite as fast as that group or that group, but you're making progress and it's exactly what your tissues can handle. Yeah, because, my rate of change now is different than what it was when I was 15. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, just a little. <laughs> you really do get buy-in on that, too, if you can give them other wins. So they're working on stuff that they're maybe not moving as quickly as they want, but I think sometimes trainers make the, the other error that trainers make on the other end of the spectrum is I'm going to continue to show you why you suck <laughs> over time <laughs> as opposed to giving you some – Quick wins, you know, something, find something that's a really good movement pattern for them and do something that shows them their ability to master that and they're, you know, that they're getting stronger, more powerful, whatever you're working towards. I think that's also important because so many trainers want to show you that they know and they're getting you better and that you're deficient, but nobody wants to feel broken all the time. Um, So I think that's a a piece of it that (laughs) you can take it to the extreme, you know. Well, I I want everybody to hear what you and Lee both said, sometimes the best way to get to the functional conversation is not to have the functional conversation. Take a few functional actions and then watch the way they want to consume functional information because a good perspective of function, a good baseline, and and you've seen a lot more people in a screen their shape, their size, their gender, their age than they have. So you can mm-hmm. both let them know that what what's pretty normal and what what could easily be improved. And so a functional action creates a better onboarding functional conversation than a functional monologue that that people hear me do when I teach them, but I have no intention of you talking to them that way, right? Right. If you're learning to be yeah. a kindergarten teacher, your professor's not talking to you like a kindergartner, but they don't expect you to do that to, to the kids. And totally, I really can't emphasize enough. Sometimes they're not going to ask you why you're leading with a screen. Right. They'll only be interested when they do something very well or not very well. And you can do with that what you will. And part of that is your your quick feedback program design that's going to actually yield a positive in a week while you're waiting for the other positives to come. Did you just say functional monologue? <laughs> yes, I did. I can slam two words together oh anytime I want. Geraldine, see what I have to deal with? Mm-hmm. I was thinking soliloquy, because I've heard them, you know, and you see the trainers going off all excited because they just came back from an FMS cert and you can see the clients completely like <laughs> glazed over because they have no idea what they're talking about or why they should care. You know, it's just like zip it, talk about it with your fellow trainers. Your client doesn't care. Give them, give them something they can experience, give them a win and let the experience speak for itself. You know? Yep. Being part of this industry for so long, how have you seen the trends in trainers kind of change. Who who are these individuals coming to you now and becoming trainers? There are a lot of people who are really excited enthusiasts who get more excited and start to follow lay people who are calling themselves trainers. In my mind, they're influencers, they're fitness celebrities, but they're not trainers. So I think the one thing is people are coming in with more noise and more things that we have to unteach. And that's a process in and of itself. It's one thing to come in with this blank slate, but it's another thing to come in with all these preconceived notions because your guru, who may or may not have <laughs> been uh, you know, educated to be your guru, has given you a lot of information. So that's more of a challenge now because there's so many voices in the conversation and there are no guardrails. Anybody can just put up a shingle and say they're a fit- fitness professional on the internet or in social media. So as an educator, you, it's not one voice you're trying to counteract and <laughs> deprogram them from. It's multiple voices and many times really 
poor information that they're working with. All right, I'm going to I'm going to ask to totally changing gears, Joe, and based off of what you just said, do you think we're at a time where there needs to be, and I'm going to use the wrong word here, but I'm going to use it anyway, regulation mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. field, in this industry, where there is a, you know, kind of like a, like a physical therapist. There's the American Physical Therapy Association. They're the ones that dictate the curriculum. They're the ones that say this. Well, for fitness, it's the wild, wild west. There are probably yes. no less than 25 to 30 different probably personal trainer certifications you can get. And I'm not saying they're all bad. I'm not saying they're all good, but th- that's the reality so mm-hmm. is, are we at a point with everyone being broken and the musculoskeletal health being what it is, that there needs to be some form of, quote unquote, coming together and there has to be something that needs to, there's got to be something that's got to happen. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know if it's regulation or, or licensure or something. I, you know, I can make an argument for and against those things, but I do think some alignment on these principles, irrespective of what school you're going through, what training program, we agree on these foundational principles. And I think that's going to be a very hard thing to have happen at this point, because there are so many voices in the conversation and all of them feel so passionately about it and will advocate for their, their side to the death. You know, Uh, people get really (laughs) emotional about the things they believe about their how they should train people, how they should do programming. So I think we need it. I just don't know that there's an easy way to make it happen. And well, it's been a frustration of mine for years. Well, one of the things that, that Phil Plisky exposed in a, in a military study with, with people getting injured in military service, whether it's just uh, injury on yeah. base working out or whether it's actually something else, going to physical therapy, the, the time they were in physical therapy may or may not have managed their problem but they emerge from therapy with the exact same risk factors as they had beforehand, meaning even the time in therapy doesn't work on the job. It just works on the project, right, the, mm-hmm. the, the knee or whatever. And so the one thing that could easily happen long before regulation of fitness happens is the consumer becomes more educated. Look how many restaurants started doing local reasonably sourced food without anybody saying anything just because the consumers were asking questions about food nobody had ever asked before. I honestly think as this physical awareness perspective in some of these risk factors, believe it or not, the solution to a movement problem is movement. Right. But it's also the biggest risk factor. <laughs> right? The dose, the the medicine can be poison or it can be the cure and the dosage is what we got to work out. And because we've been eroding as a physical society, there's more of us who are probably not anywhere close to an ideal physical specimen than are. So the norm is getting ready to change because the average is getting ready to change. The average American's overweight right now. Okay. It's uh, shocking, but it's true. Right, right. So, so I honestly think as as these risk factors emerge and as these functional perspectives make it more into mainstream, um, I honestly think the client who's been part of a group exercise or a one on one exercise relationship is going to start saying, "Okay." I've been losing weight slow, but what's happening to my function? And they will have reasonable ways to maybe look in their own mirror of function and say, listen, let's change this too. And as soon as the customer requests it, it will happen. And it'll probably drive and regulate fitness better than any type of certification we could impose. I I follow the money. The fact that insurance companies are having to spend so much money and companies are having to spend so much money that something is going to change. Because I think the 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 fact that we're spending so much money on these issues, back pain, knee pain, all these things, I think that's what's going to kind of drive this as well. I'm not discounting what you said, Gray. I think that's part of it. But I also think the fact that there's so much money being thrown at this issue and not solving the issue. In exercise science, we had a lot more heart attacks in the 60s and 70s than, than we had in the years before that. And so what happened in the 80s and 90s? A very conservative approach to metabolic loads, right? We, we, we did a bunch of stuff to make sure people didn't have a heart attack while exercise. Now, 
What's insurance saying? Believe it or not, musculoskeletal is costing us more than metabolic, meaning cancer, heart disease, diabetes is behind 40-year-olds getting total knees now because that's not a burden on Medicare. That's a burden on insurance. So now that musculoskeletal is becoming the spotlight of a lot of money being being spent, you're going to see the orthopedic conservative approach, just like the cardiovascular conservative approach. Hopefully, it will not just be a bunch of restriction of activity. Hopefully, that restriction and a solution go hand in hand. Uh, I don't yeah. I don't ever want a future where everybody's got to do correctives the rest of their life. But I right. also am reasonable enough to realize the only way some people are going to function at a higher level is if they do. The consumer is going to decide, and I, I think ultimately, and I do think there's more of a chance of a bottom-up intervention of, you know, we call, we demand this because we're a more educated consumer. I love your analogy about, you know, the consumers ask for certain things. They want more environmentally friendly things. So now you see biodegradable, you know, that wasn't a thing 20 years ago. Nobody cared. Everyone just threw stuff into landfills. Now people are, well, what's going to happen to that bottle? Um, it's a different orientation. I do think we can have a similar impact where the consumers can say, hey, wait a minute, like, you're just going to start training me? We didn't do any kind of assessment. <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, that it doesn't feel good. I don't want my doctor to say, oh, yeah, we're going to need to take out that <laughs> appendix of yours <laughs> without running any diagnostics. Uh, they just don't know to ask that question right now. So we got a ways to go. But uh, I love seeing it pop up and lay things, you know, when Tim Ferriss and people like that talk about about FMS, it's like, okay, great. You know, like, let's get it out there. Let's not make it the secret behind the doors of, uh, of fitness and health professionals. But do you, th- do you see it already changing, Gerilyn? Just, just this idea of movement, right? I do. I do. You see those people like, uh, you know, Mike Fitch, Animal Flow. I think some of those things, that's where I think video is really a compelling tool and resource because you look at someone like that moving and doing these incredible things uh, with their bodies. And you're saying, how did they have mastery of their body like that? And then I think that makes people curious. So I I think there is a a change now where people are like, oh, it'd be cool to be able to move like that. I don't have mastery of my own vessel like that. And clearly it's possible. So I think it does raise a lot of interest and curiosity. I also think maybe I'm biased because I love it so much, but I think yoga has done a lot for that because you get into these things you're like oh that doesn't look that hard you're like oh my gosh i'm dying why can't i do this and it makes you curious about why can't you do this it's the person next to you is doing it so a human can do it you just can't do it you know well you know gerilyn the the reason we recently put the flows up on our website just these little movement explorations is because when you mention yoga, there's a sun salutation. When you talk about kettlebells, there's a Turkish getup. When we talk about animal flow, the one thing that is common about these things I just mentioned is the exercise that we learned in college is a start and stop. Usually one plane of motion. And there's nothing start and stop about an animal flow. There's nothing start and stop about a Turkish getup done right. And there's nothing start and stop about a sun salutation. So my little attempt to put those flows is nothing but me in athletic body and balance removing the core board in 2003 and inserting a half foam roll or saying, here's your speed bump obstacle. But the point is, the transition between two movement patterns or two postures should be as smooth as the reps in between. And and that's what I'm trying to say without saying it because the person who's just consuming it gets the flow more than the person who's trying to teach the dance steps. You know, totally. uh, this is just a combination of movements that, believe it or not, can look elegant or very choppy. And removing the choppiness is what I want to happen, but I'm not going to coach you out of it. I'm going to let you sand the, sand the floor, paint the fence, wax the car. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love that. I think that's really powerful when people get into something. I do a lot of kettlebells myself now, and I, I love it because and you're explaining this to younger trainers who maybe haven't had those experiences yet. And they're asking, well, what muscles are we working? And you're like, yes, <laughs> we're working <laughs> all the muscles. And it's, it's a weird way for people to, to think of things because to your point, it's start, stop. It's, you know, it's joint, a single joint or maybe multiple joints, but maybe one plane. Um, and just to get the idea of moving in multiple planes 
in a fluid way where the goal is the the transition as much as the movement, I think, is a real light bulb moment for a lot of people. I know in my own career, when I went from, you know, selectorized equipment to functional and then from functional, what I thought was functional to what I think is more functional now, these kind of things, it, every time you go through something like that, it's a huge paradigm shift. Well, I, I heard you also say that. I think the word movement now is becoming mm-hmm. as popular as function was when our relationship started. And I Agreed. like that. I embrace that because movement should always be functional. And if we right. were investing time in programming that wasn't yielding both a fitness and functional result, then the medicine had too many side effects to be worth the cure. So, totally. so I think it's nice that the word, and, and I've told this to Lee, we've got function and movement in our business title. But if I could mm-hmm. drop one of those words, I'd much rather drop function than movement because movement is what we screwed up. Movement didn't get screwed up. We had to relabel exercises functional because not all exercise was. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times people put functional in front of anything that they want to do when they want to justify it. It's just, you yeah. know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to catch all. <laughs> it's going to be about as watered down as organic. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, totally. So the chicken had a hundred watt bulb, not a 20 watt bulb. That sun well, it's, well, it was closer to sunlight. So it's closer to organic. <laughs> sure. He had totally. free range. <laughs> So, Geraldine, you kind of went down the timeline of the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and what the trend was. What do you think the future of this is? I do think if we can, I think the future is in our control to a certain extent. If we can continue to get enough voices educating everyone, trainers, fitness professionals and the lay person, I think we have an opportunity to start to fix some of what's broken. I want to believe that. (laughs) I do think it's going to have to be very intentional of enough people getting the message and spreading the message. But if we don't start doing that, then I do worry because the amount of, you know, great talking about more people are overweight than not. I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. It's it's so disturbing to me. And I do think there'll have to be a point at which the pendulum has swung so far where people are like, hey, wait a minute. Like this is, what's like cigarette smoking. It was very, pretty common when I was growing up. And you don't see that many people smoking cigarettes the way you used to. And we smoked in planes. <laughs> we smoked in restaurants. You know, it was nuts. I think we're going to get to a place like that in our evolution. I'm hopeful that we're going to get to a place like that in our evolution where everybody's been like, okay, this has gone far enough. Everybody is sick and overweight and in pain. This is a lot of this is preventable. Let's just, let's put the cigarette down, you know? So I I think we have have an opportunity. Well, all three of us have worked internationally. And that's one thing that hit me like a ton of bricks when we started traveling more is we're different. Oh yeah. We go to other places and (laughs) yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't look like, Walmart looks, right? We go to other countries and and you just see movements different, uh, transportation's different, body comp is different, everything's different. And I think sometimes, especially now, we're so sequestered, we get desensitized. And so we look around us and average becomes normal. And that just because it's prevalent and, and the average measure doesn't mean we haven't eroded. And the one thing that I think we learned from the way the military handled physical readiness and capability is you can only lower the bar but so much before you buy yourself a boatload of problems you can't afford. So, so totally. I think 100%. holding the physical bar here is not discrimination. It's not insensitive. It's the only way you can save yourself. Right. right? Absolutely. Uh, Georgie Bear observed that. And, and, um, it was talked about in the book, natural born heroes, where mm-hmm. there was a, a, a boat that started sinking and there were enough people on that boat that were so physically weak, they couldn't save themselves. And Georgie wow. Bear, the guy that influenced a lot of what Erwan LaCour has done and the physical readiness that we lost every time we had a war, these beautiful physical cultures were being developed. And then of course we had to have a world war, um, and then, you know, we lose a lot of that every time we, we have culture goes backward. Uh, but his observation, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that the average human had eroded this much in the last 20 years. I wouldn't have seen this And it. Sometimes it takes a very unfortunate situation to see how, how 
out of shape and primed for an accident we were. And like I said, COVID was a bigger problem for young people when it got here because mm-hmm. we see a lot of the things that lead to obesity are simply referred to as age accelerants. So we got 40-year-olds moving like 70-year-olds, breathing, eating, sleeping, and functioning like 70-year-olds. So they're going to have the risk factors of a 70-year-old when a pandemic hits. And there's no quick way out of that, but there's a way out of that. You raise the bar. You I love that it. idea of hypokinetic disease, which uh, Tom Myers used to always talk about, you know, the all the maladies caused by insufficient movement. And it's just, it's so prevalent. And you're right, this has been, this year has really brought it to the fore for everybody because it's been such a challenge to do things we took for granted, like drive over to 24 hour fitness and get on the treadmill. Um, uh, Hopefully that'll help accelerate the wake up call, but you never know. (laughs) You you said it, the the word disease is dis-ease. So if there's such a thing as movement dis-ease, then movement ease would be deep squat, touch your toes, balance on one foot, turn around and look behind you. It doesn't hurt. <laughs> so right, right. That's movement totally. ease. <laughs> totally. It's function. Well, I think to go another angle with that, we were talking about you know the present day and where we are right now with the pandemic and how we're becoming more aware and how it's difficult to get to maybe the anytime fitness. Well, so many people are working from home now and they may not be going back to the office. You know, these offices might be, you know, getting rid of that rent bill and having everybody work from home. So with less, less time spent away from the home, you're always there. Your, your work life management is very different. Is it potentially in the benefit of these corporations to become more involved with the wellness of their employees? Is that maybe the future? Absolutely. I think there will be a lot of return on investment for companies who are willing to be intentional about serving up options for their employees uh, from working from home situations. I think that's going to be a huge benefit. And I think the whole idea of changing a culture so that we're putting things like movement snacks into their day, you know, so there's the expectation that we're going to either individually or as a collective move for five minutes at the end of this meeting where we've been sitting there watching Zoom for an an hour. And I think to normalize that is going to be a huge thing. It's interesting, you know, in corporate sites that we have at Exos, some of the sites pre-COVID, the the leadership embraced exercise and gets right in there and they're on, you know, at noon, instead of eating lunch at their desk, they're working out in the gym with everyone else. And in other places, not so much. You can feel the employees feel that normalizing of we don't do this at work, even though we have this gym here. Uh, I I think to the extent that we can say it's okay to move. It's okay to have a walking meeting. It's okay not to be in front of zoom and just take this as an audio and keep moving. I think that's a, a huge opportunity, especially now. I think companies that focus on wellness, fitness will happen organically, but health will be managed way better. But if you focus on fitness, you're only going to get the select few. But there's there's a middle ground between health and fitness called wellness. And I think everybody can embrace that because they either want to be able to exercise or they want to have an active life. I think everybody would take those choices if they had them and if they knew how easy the on-ramp was. With those employees not taking those opportunities, that, that's a teaching moment right there. Um, you know, yep. you just got to figure out how you're going to levy it. So if corporate wellness is the future, what does it look like for the trainer? I think trainers are going to have to continue to get more sophisticated in their ability to deliver digital remote sessions and training, which is not always going to be easy. Uh, We're going to need more digital tools to help them figure out what they should and shouldn't be doing with their uh, employees, their clients remotely. And I I think that's going to that's going to take some time. But I don't think that's going away anywhere anytime soon. The good news of all of that is that we can touch more lives. It used to be, oh, you know, your market is within five to 10 miles of your house. Well, now your market is anywhere. So thinking of all the people that need our help and all the people that could benefit from what we can share, I think there is that opportunity to just to touch many more lives virtually than we would having to go to everyone's house or having them come and meet us in a gym. Do you have any experience in kind of app development and any of that virtual fitness training? I do. 
Yeah. So uh, I, when I was at Nike, we redid the Nike Training Club app while I was there. And it was something I was really proud of. And it was some of the, the most uh, gratifying work that I've done. I got to bring all kinds of experts from all over the world, actually, to s- submit within a certain guideline, different types of programs for the app. And then we got to edit it and shoot it and uh, see how it went out into the wild. And it was very well received. I, I was a partic- participant, a hundred percent. I did the treadmill workouts. I did the other workouts. I was, I was one of the, one of your fans at that point. I was definitely a direct, directly influenced by that app. And then now it's just projected into FitOn and SkyFit, which is now Aptive. And I think the future is definitely there. And you helped pave the way of that. So I wanted to say thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you having you on um, and having this discussion. Thanks, Thank G. You for really, really, me. really appreciate it. Miss you guys. Good seeing you. Good seeing you. Take care. That'll do it for this episode of the Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please take a minute to subscribe and review. If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your movement journey, visit us at movementpod.com. Until next time, be sure to first move well, then move often.